Our Heavenly Father, we lift our praise up to you. Our prayers have been made, and Father, we're trusting you with the outcome. There's so many things going on in the lives of our people and so many needs, and I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would meet the needs of these people, whatever they may be. And that, Father, as we come here today, that you would meet us here and that you would lift our hearts up in, in assurance and in hope and in faith, and that, Lord, we can be drawn closer to you. Be with us now, Father, and open up your word as we go through the remainder of our service, that we might be challenged, and as we leave here today, that we, we would be different people. We thank you, Father, for all that you do, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? <clears throat> Sandra, I appreciate you sharing with us. I appreciate your ministry. And, uh, it, you know, you mentioned you're 70 years old, and i got to say I'm 67, and I'm winding down. So I pray, <laughs> I congratulate you, girl. You're, you're doing great. Now, that's, you're an inspiration to all of us. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard the phrase, a bleeding heart liberal? <laughs> you know, do you know what that is? This is something that I, I don't really know the origin of this phrase, but it, I'm sure it came out of the political world somewhere. And it was, it came into being because of a lot of, uh, the liberal, politically liberal people in the world. They, they were very sympathetic and very caring about the needs of other people, hurting people, uh, but they didn't do a whole lot about it. And as a result, this term came into being the bleeding heart liberal. Now, it's, just, it's not just for liberals. Let me just say that. Um, there is a definition in the uh, dictionary for bleeding hearts. Um, let me share with you this definition. It refers to anybody. And I can think of a lot of people that I've encountered over the years of ministry that weren't liberal in their political views or anything like that, but still I, would, I could possibly put them in this category. Here's the definition I came across. It refers to a person who makes an ostentatious or excessive display of pity or concern for somebody else. Now let me repeat it. A person who makes an ostentatious or excessive display of pity or concern for others. In other words, they're very dramatic, very over the top in their display of pity but that they don't really follow through and do anything. In other words, they express their feelings dramatically, but very little action. And what that term, bleeding heart, has come to refer to is somebody that expresses a lot of sympathy, a lot of empathy, a lot of emotion, but doesn't really follow through with any concrete plans or efforts to try to correct the problem. And the question, really, that we've got to deal with as believers is, is that enough? In other words, is sympathy for someone who's hurting? We've, you know, had a lot of prayer requests, a lot of things mentioned here today. Is feeling sympathetic or even empathetic? In other words, you can feel their pain. You've been through a similar situation. Is that enough? Because we as Christians, I think, to some degree, have begun to think that as long as we feel sympathetic, that we've done a lot, or even if we pray that that's all we need to do. Now, I'm not minimizing either one of those. I'm not minimizing sympathy because we all have to begin with an emotion. We feel something for somebody when we hear that they're hurting. That, that's an important part of that. And we're not minimizing prayer by any means. But is that enough that we stop there? Because the Bible teaches something quite different. You see, the Bible refers to something called compassion. And compassion, according to Scripture, is really putting feet to our sympathy. 
is taking sympathy to a different level. Let me give you a definition of what compassion is. Compassion is participating in someone else's suffering, that you're participating in it. You're carrying their load. You're sharing their burden like the Bible talks about. And it's more than just what you feel. It's more than just lifting up a prayer, but you are entering into and participating in their suffering. In other words, you're getting involved. Now, today, what I want to do is this. I want to challenge you, and this refers to me as well. I just always refer to you because I'm preaching to you. But to challenge us to become more sympathetic, more compassionate. Not just the feeling, but the compassion in the sense that we reach out and put feet to that and do something about it and help people. Now, we're going to look at some scripture today, so just buckle up your seatbelts and hang on, okay? Because we're going to look at some things. And I want to drive this point home, first of all, that this biblical concept is something that we have to adhere to that we have to, be, to obey. But first of all, I want to show you that God's very character is that of compassion. If you look back into the Old Testament, you're going to find so many scriptures that talk about God being a, a compassionate God. But let me just share with you two or three of them, okay? In Exodus 22:27, it says this. God is speaking. He says, when they cry out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. I'm going to hear them and I'm going to respond and answer their prayers because I'm compassionate. Exodus 34, 6 says this. This is the Lord speaking as well. He's describing himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Again, he's saying, this is who I am. This is my nature. This is my essence, my character. Remember when David committed the sin with Bathsheba? And he committed not only the immorality, the adultery, but he committed the murder of her husband and went through about a year of just hellacious time in his life, really. Just a a horrible time. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and David repents. And then David writes some of the Psalms referring back to that time. Psalms 51.1 says this, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now this was after he committed the sin. He's referring back to that. If you read the entire psalm, you'd see that. And he's saying, because of your compassion, and I know that's who you are, and I know that's what you like, I want you to blot out what I've done because you're a compassionate God. And later on, the psalmist says in uh, Psalms 116.5, he says, Our God is full of compassion. All through the Old Testament, you're going to find that. And that's how God is presented. That is his character. That is who he is. Now, when Jesus came and he walked on this earth, he he told people, he said, look, he said, if you want to see the father, then look at me because I am the example of who he is. If you want to know what he's like, then I'm going to show you because I'm going to demonstrate to you who he is and what he is like. So as you go through the life of Christ, you see Jesus Christ performing acts of compassion. Now watch this. I want to show you three or four verses here real quick. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is an incident where he gets out of a boat. He's come across the lake. He gets out of the boat. He lands on shore and he sees them and he feels their hurt, their pain, because all of these sick people are gathered there to see him and to hear him. 
And because he was moved with compassion, he takes it a step further and he shows them what he can do. And he demonstrates that compassion by healing their sick. In the Bible, there are two examples of Jesus Jesus feeding a crowd. He feeds the 5,000 at one time, and he also later on another time feeds 4,000. Different setting, different time. This is in reference to the 4,000. It says that Jesus, in Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, he'd been preaching for three days. He says, they are hungry. They haven't eaten much at all, if anything. He said, and they're not leaving. They're listening to every word. You see, this is the preacher's dream here. You know, I, I, you know how it is. You, you get hungry about, you know, 12 o'clock, and the preacher still wants to go. But, you know, you're ready. I, I understand that. But these people have been there for three days with nothing to eat. And Jesus said, I have compassion on them. So I'm going to feed them. So out of his compassion, he fed them. Jesus encountered a group of blind men one time. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Here's another instance, the last one. Mark 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Now watch this, because this is different. Out of his compassion, he taught them because he saw them as lost sheep. They didn't have a shepherd. They had nobody to teach them. They had all kinds of questions and doubts. And because he had compassion on them, he began to teach them. Now listen to me. There are many of you who have worked, let's say, in children's ministry. Over the years, you've worked teaching Sunday school, you've, you've worked in camps, you've worked in Awana, you've worked in different things. The question for you is this, then why did you do that? I would venture to say some of you did it, maybe because you were guilty, maybe there was a need you thought you could fill it, but I'll guarantee you, most of you, if not in the beginning, at least later on, you developed a compassion for those kids. And you saw them as needing instruction, you saw them as somebody that needed help. And out of your compassion, you taught You led. You helped. This is true of most ministries and churches. Why do people get involved? Well, there's something about this that drives them because they see people in need and they reach out in compassion and they do something. So all of these uh, examples, whether they were sick, whether they were hungry, or whether they just needed to be taught, Jesus is saying this, because I am compassionate, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take the next step and make something happen. Now, there's many, many scriptures in the Bible that deal with the character of God and deal with him and his being compassionate. But now, God demands of us, every one of us, that you and I be compassionate people. And this is where it gets hard, because sometimes we're just not. I think sometimes we feel a lot of sympathy. We have a heart for people. We want to do something, but we just don't. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But before we do, I want to show you this passage. And this is probably one of the best illustrations of what compassion really is and what it looks like. You've all heard the story of the Good Samaritan, but I want to very quickly go through this with you. It's found in Luke chapter 10, and it covers about 
seven or eight verses. Let me break them down and go through it with you, okay? I want to look with beginning at verse 25 and going through verse 29. It says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, well, love your neighbor, or love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, let's back up and look at this a little bit because it can be confusing. It's like the same setup, the same scenario, the same situation when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him basically the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's the giveaway right there. What do I have to do? Tell me, I've done all these things. Tell me what I have to do now to add to it. And if you remember in that situation, Jesus said this, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, then you'll have riches in heaven. Now, here's the question. If that young man had sold everything that he had and given it to the poor, and if this man would go and um, love his neighbor and be compassionate to his neighbor, the way he's talking about here, would they have had eternal life? No. That wasn't the point. They came to Jesus to test him. They came to justify themselves and to put him down and entrap him. All Jesus is doing in these two scenarios is trying to convince them that they have a need of a Savior. You're not as good as you think you are, so let me tell you why you're not as good as you think you are. And in both scenarios, he's trying to convince them of their need. Salvation is not by works. It never is. But the story goes on because now he gives them, or gives this young man this parable. And this is the parable of the Samaritan, okay? He says, in reply, starting with verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. He, painted, he paints for them a picture that is horrible. And I'm assuming the man was Jewish. It doesn't say, but he just says a man living in Jerusalem and Jericho. He said he's pretty much a Jewish man. Is beaten by robbers and left for dead. Now here's what happens in the story. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, what is significant about him being a priest? Well, he's a religious leader. It'd be like the preacher doing it. You go down the road, and there on that side over there, or really on this side, he was on the same side, he sees the man lying in the street. Now, I've got to believe that because he's a human being, he felt sympathy. He probably looked at the man and said, the poor soul, I don't know if he's alive or dead. I'm late. I've got to go. I'm not stopping to see. But I feel really, really bad for him, and I'll pray for him. But he crosses the road, goes down the other side, and he leaves. Same thing happened again in verse 32. It says, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, Levite basically is the tribe of Israel from which the priests came. So it's like saying two religious people came by and this is what happened. 
In verse 33 it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, what is so significant about this? Well, the man's a Samaritan. We've talked about this before. Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. And the Jews hated them. The last thing that the Jewish people in this crowd listening to this parable would want to hear is that our religious leaders passed the man by, but a Samaritan stopped. You've got to be kidding me. But this is the story. And this is what Jesus told them. Now, the man stops. He looks at the guy. He goes over. He, che- he checks him out. He picks him up, puts him on the donkey, takes him to an inn, and takes care of him overnight. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, this is costing him money already. You let him stay here, and if, if, if he has to stay here for a week or so, it doesn't matter. I'll be back through here in about a week, and when I come back, I'll settle up the account. But you make sure the man gets taken care of, and he gets back out of here and on his feet again. So he leaves. This is uh, an expensive ordeal that this, this Samaritan had no way of knowing in the end how much this is going to cost. And it says in verse 34, because Jesus now is back to talking to the crowd now, the story's over, and he says this, he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You go and do the same thing. Now, a Jewish leader, a, a skilled in the law, the last thing they did was get their hands dirty dealing with somebody else's problems. But Jesus is saying, okay, you want to know what righteousness is? Then here's what it looks like. And this is what compassion looks like. This is a perfect example of what a compassion is. Because two men went by, probably, although it doesn't tell us, but probably, just simply out of human decency, felt sympathetic, felt something. But they didn't do anything. And it took a Samaritan to reach down to the Jew and say, let me take care of you. That was the neighbor. That was the one that showed love. That was the one that showed compassion. And that was the one that Jesus puts up as an example to the Jews, of what a compassionate person looks like. Now, guys, throughout the New Testament, the church, us, believers, we are commanded to be compassionate people. It's not a suggestion. It's not good advice. God says to us through the apostles, he said, this is what you're to do. Let me show you three quick verses, and then I'll bring the verse reading to an end, okay? In Ephesians 4.32, here's what Paul said. Be kind and compassionate to one another. The one another's are in the Bible. There's about 36 of them, I think, that refer to what takes place within the church body. You love one another. You're kind to one another. You're compassionate with one another. You know, in the body of Christ... 
there should not be a situation where people go unattended, when people have needs that are not met, or at least do the best we can to meet those needs. Paul tells you right here, as, God, as, as God's people, be compassionate to one another. Look at what he says in this next verse, in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. That means to put it on like a suit of clothes and never take it off. You put it around you, you act like it, you look like it. When people see you, they see compassion exemplified in the way you live. And you're always reaching out, you're always offering assistance, you're always looking for people in need, and you're doing the best you can to meet the needs of other people. One last verse, and here it is. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Finally, as, as, I'm sorry, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. All through the Bible, Old and New Testament, it doesn't matter. We are told to be compassionate, not just sympathetic, not just bleeding hearts, but people that reach down, get your hands dirty, make sacrifices, get involved in the lives of other people. Now, this would apply not only to the church, that we take care of each other, but it's going to apply to us as the world is outside the door as well. That you and I have a responsibility before God to do whatever we can in showing compassion to people in need within the community or the world itself. Why do we not do it? Why are we so reluctant? Why do we... And here, let me back that up, okay? I, I can't say why do we not do it because some of you do. Some of you do. We, might not, we may not all even know the stories of your life and what you've done, but God knows. So I'm not lumping us all together, but I am saying that within our lives, and myself included, there are times in life where we are reluctant to get involved. We just are. So why is that? Why are we so reluctant to get involved? Let me share with you three quick Points are things that I think would answer the question why we're so reluctant to get involved. Number one, it's not necessarily number one of importance, but just the first one on the list here, okay? Sometimes we're reluctant to get involved because we look at the need and we think to ourselves, it is too big. So why get involved? I can't meet that need. That look out in, in, in Athens and in Henderson County at all the problems and all the needs within the community. I can't do that. I can't solve those problems, so I won't even try. Look at that one person. I, they've got so many issues and so many things going wrong in their lives. I can't fix it, so I'm not even going to try. I can't help everybody. I can't do all that that person needs, so I just won't. You know, nobody's asking you or me to solve the needs of every person. God's not asking you to solve the needs of all the needs of any one person. Because sometimes you're right, we can't. We don't have the resources or the time or the ability to solve everybody's problems. And I don't know that that's really what God called us to do anyway. But God does at times put people on our minds. 
And God does at times say, you need to help this one. You need to do something here. And success is not measured by fixing everybody's problem. You need to hear this, okay? Success is not measured by you being able to fix all the problems. That's not how God measures success. God's going to measure success in this, that when he has laid upon your heart this need, did you follow through to meet that need? Then you have been obedient. You've been successful. Will the person still have needs? Absolutely. Jesus said, you know what? The poor will always be with you. They will always be here. Because humankind isn't getting better, they're getting worse. There will always be the sick. There will always be people grieving. There will always be needs. I'm not asking you to meet all of the needs. You cannot change the whole world. But you can change the world for somebody. It may only be one person. But when I lay them upon your heart and bring them to your mind and say to you, this is what you need to be doing, this is the person I want you to reach out to, then I'm asking you to be obedient to that. And just do what you have the ability and the resources to do. And I will show you things and I will show you how I can use you in ways you've never dreamed possible. But you have to do it. See, you have to step out. You're my hands. You're my feet. You're my voice. You're, you're it. And so I'm asking you to step out, he says. Here's another reason. You know, we, we tend to say the need is too great, but in reality we're just making excuses. We need to realize one thing at a time, one person at a time. But here's another issue, another problem. And that is we tell ourselves somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do that one. Lord, I, I know, I can feel it, I can sense it. I know that you're laying this person on my heart, and my heart is breaking for them, and I am, I am sympathetic, I, I am in deep remorse for what is taking place. But Lord, somebody else will do it. I just can't. And you missed the whole point. Can somebody else do it? Yeah, probably so. Will they? I don't know. But the point is this, God asked you to. See, he didn't ask somebody else, he asked you. He laid that person, that need on your heart, and he is saying to you, you do it because I'll bless you for doing it. It's, tr it's true of anything. When it comes to the Lord and our relationship, God blesses obedience. He always does. And so I'm asking you that whenever you take this point of view, that you know, somebody will do it. I don't have to. Somebody will do it. Are you really willing to give up that blessing? Because that's what you're doing. You're saying they can have the job and they can have the blessing. It doesn't matter to me. So we make those excuses too. But here's a third excuse and probably one that we use really often. That we're just too busy. We're just too busy. We don't see the needs around us. We go through life... If, this is true of all of us, guys. Okay, now I, again, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. But we're so busy going through life that we don't really take the time to look. We're not sensitive. We can walk right past a need and not even pay attention to it. And what I'm getting at here with this is that we're, you and I are going to have to slow down. 
if, if you see the need to be a more compassionate person and you feel this is really what you need to work on, then you and I are going to have to slow down. We're going to have to start listening to people. We're going to have to start watching because God will always bring those needs right before us. And if you and I are too busy to look or have our blinders on, then we're going to miss it. But you're going to have to start looking. And whenever you see somebody that's hurting or they have a particular need, let your mind begin to wander. And let you, you begin to think about what, what could be done. You know, I bet that person could use some money. Man, I, I bet that person could use a babysitter. Somebody just to help them out a little bit, to give them a chance here. I bet that person could use a ride to work. They're telling me the story about what happened to them. I bet they could use a ride to work for a week or two. I could go by and pick them up. I bet they could certainly use somebody to talk to as they grieve over the loss of a loved one. I could do that. I bet they could use some food during this time, some meals taken to their home or something. Instead of saying, I wish somebody would organize that, just say, you know, I could do that. I could do that. But it's going to take you and me slowing down long enough to see the need in order to demonstrate compassion. I'm going to close with this, and this is a challenge that I want to leave with you. Three things in Remember the point here, trying to help us to become more compassionate, helping us to do a better job. Here are the three things I want to leave you with, okay? Number one, I want to challenge you that you and I together begin to pray that God would show us the needs. You see, here's what I believe. I believe that it's God's business and God's desire to help people in need. I don't believe that God has just pushed them over there and forgotten about them. And so if that's the case, then me and you as God's people, filled with God's Spirit, are the ones that He's going to tap on, tap the shoulder and say, hey, I want you to go over here and take care of this need. And you're going to sense it. You know how? Because it's going to be somebody that's on your mind and you can't shake it. All you do is think about that problem, that issue, that person. You are, your heart is breaking for this individual. Why is that? Because God has laid them on your heart. It may not be the person next to you or down the street, your neighbor, whatever. It's you. It's you. And you begin to pray and ask God to show you those people. Lord, help me to slow down and see them. And you're going to have to be bold and aggressive in this prayer, okay? Now, what I mean by that is I'm sitting here asking you to pray for opportunities and you're backing up probably saying, but I don't want them. See, there's the problem. You're going to have to be bold here. And you're going to have to be thinking, okay, God, I'm going to have the courage to pray that prayer. God, lay them on my heart. Show me the need and I will do what I can do. And that brings me to the second point. If I'm going to pray for that, if I'm going to ask God to give me that, then here's the second point. That you need to make a commitment to act before God ever shows you who it is. You need to say to God, Here, here's the situation, Lord. You show me the need because I want to serve you, 
You show me the need, and Lord, I will do what I can to meet that need before you ever show me who it is. You see, here's the problem I found in my life. God, tell me what it is first, and then I'll evaluate it. See, it's the process of evaluation that always screws things up because I talk myself out of it. I'll evaluate it and tell you whether I think there's a need there and what I can do and what I don't want to do. Rather than doing that, just say, Lord, I'll take care of it. It's really very simple. You're just doing for them what you would want done for you. What do you think in that situation, if that was you, what you would need? Well, I'm sure that's what they need. Just do it. Sometimes people are just barely getting by. Financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, they're just barely getting by. They don't need a lot, but they need something. They need something. And guys, this is when you and I come into play. And will it be a sacrifice? Yeah, you bet it will. You bet it will. Like the Good Samaritan had to sacrifice, then it's going to be a sacrifice. Anytime you get involved in the life of another person, it tends to get messy, it tends to get time-consuming, and it can be expensive. But between you and God, you need to make this decision. So you need to make it now, before it ever happens, that, Lord, this is what I'll do. I'll be obedient here. The third thing I would encourage you to do is this. Ask other people for help. Ask other people to get involved too. If you have a need, if, if there's somebody that you are impressed to help and you, you, know, you feel sympathy for this person and you want to do something and you know you're going to, then enlist the help of other people. It not only helps this person more, but it also helps these people too. Because when you get them involved, it helps them to become people of compassion. Five or six years ago, I did the funeral for my dad. And it was a hard time to do. I mean, you can imagine to do your own parents' funeral. This I was aware of but did not know the details of. And so I was talking to my mother and asking her things about dad. She told me about this time. And I was out here in Dallas going to seminary when this took place. But my dad would, you know, watch TV, and one of the things that he would watch and listen to on the radio was called The Parson of the Hills. You ever, are you familiar with that? It's something in the Carolinas. It was, it's a guy that did a ministry up in the mountains of North Carolina, up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And he ministered to the mountain people, the people impoverished up in the mountains. Then there are many of them. Been there since God created the mountains, it seems like. And... Uh, They're very proud and very private people. But this man over the years had built a relationship with them. And one of the things that he did, he's a a pastor, a missionary, is that he would help supply their needs. And he would come on the TV and the radio and challenge people. Help with the Christmas gifts for the children. Help with money. Help with food. Things like that. Well, my dad's a big softy and and he got motivated one year to, to... give so he gave something but then he was talking to the guys in the Sunday school class and they said well we can give something too 
And so they all decided to give something. And then they opened it up to the church. And the church got involved. And the church got behind it. And then the community got behind it. And so and so said, I know somebody at this church. So another church got involved. One thing led to another. And pretty soon they were taking an 18-wheeler up through the mountains, hauling stuff, taking money and food and what have you to these people. This man. And my dad did that. My dad spearheaded the whole thing. And it all began with God touching his heart. Sympathy, emotion. But Dad said, I got to do something. And when he did, he solicited the help of other people. And it grew into a, a tremendous effort. <coughs> now, what I'm asking you to do is this that when God lays somebody on your heart, that you do what I've just said. You begin to pray. You begin to make a commitment that you're going to do it and you're going to be faithful. And then you start inviting other people to help you. And whatever that project may be, whoever that person may be, you get as much help as you can to meet that need. And what will happen is this. Once you see what you were able to do through the power of God and through your obedience... You'll do it again and again and again until pretty soon you have developed a lifestyle of compassion. And that is what God wants. God wants an army of compassionate people. And guys, this is what our responsibility is as God's people. I know that we're long on time. Let me close with this. The greatest act of compassion was what Jesus did for us on the cross. When he died on the cross for you and me, he took the sins of the world. That's every sin I've ever committed or every will commit, yours too. And he made a payment and he died for that. This is how we know that we have eternal life because Jesus paid it all. Let me read you this one last verse. John 6:47 says this. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. He who believes. That's it. He who believes. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's faith. You have everlasting life. That's the promise of God. That's compassion. Because God didn't need to do it. He didn't have to do it, but he did. Guys, let's be compassionate. Let's be who God wants us to be. Our Heavenly Father, we bow here before you this morning. And Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality that there are hurting people all around us. Father, we confess that sometimes we're so busy we just don't see them. We're not aware. We have this attitude that somebody else will do it when all along what you want is for us to do it. Father, as we pray here this morning, we are praying that you would bring those people to our attention. That through your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten us as to who needs what, what the needs are. And that, Father, one at a time, you would lay it upon our heart to reach out, to, to do what we can to help those people. And, Father, as we do that, I pray that you'd help us to find joy and excitement and purpose. And that we would become different people than who we are now. May we be the people of compassion that you want us to be.
In Jesus' name we pray.